Good morning, everybody. <laughs> there we go. So welcome to SF Music Tech. Welcome specifically to this panel entitled Artist Tools. Today, we're going to be talking about the different items in the artist toolkit, specifically as it pertains to the digital side of how they operate their businesses, as well as kind of taking a look at the toolkit of tomorrow. In doing so, I'm joined by a panel of highly intelligent people who I won't even begin to introduce because I just won't do justice. So I'm going to go down really quickly and have everyone introduce themselves, kind of give a bit of a background of who they are, what they do, and why they're here today, starting with Steve Rennie. Thank you. Hello, Celia Hirschman. My name is Steve Rennie. My day gig is I am an artist manager. I've been involved in the music business for uh, the better part of 30 years, and I currently manage a rock band called Incubus, and, and just recently started a little uh, website idea called Redman Music and Business, where I'm attempting to help mentor this next generation of musicians and uh, young music industry hopefuls on the ways of today's real music business, as ugly as it is. Hi everyone, good morning. I'm David. Uh, I'm CEO of Bandzoogle. We are a website platform for bands and musicians and songwriters and artists. We're a nine-year-old internet company, so we're, we're kind of the granddaddies of the music tech scene. And uh, we're, yeah, we're a platform where anyone can come and build their own website. We make it easy, affordable, beautiful. All the features uh, a band needs are all included, uh, including stuff like the mailing list uh, management, newsletters. We also have uh, no commission online store for digital, physical music merch. And uh, we're, yeah, we're based in Montreal, Canada with staff uh, all over the US, Canada, UK. We're nicely growing profitable and uh, we're pretty excited about what's coming next. Hi everybody, I'm Taina from Brazil. I'm a computer engineer, CEO of Global Digital Impact. Our company, we do softwares. Our main client is the Brazilian government. Also, we invest in clean energy and security technology. And I came up with the idea in the beginning of this year. It's a social network to make music together in a collaborative way, all be tuned. With the idea, I won the Midem Hockey Day this year and the AT&T South by Southwest Hackathon. And now we got the partnership with the Brazilian government is the official platform for FIFA, the World Cup games, to do all the jingles in a collaborative way for the World Cup. And I'm very excited to be here. California, just my first time here, and I just arrived for the United Nations Foundation event. And I was invited to join the, the board of members of Global Young Leaders. So I'm very excited to be here and thank Hi, my name is Matt Mason. I'm the executive director of marketing at a company called BitTorrent. We have 160 million users. We are we make a protocol that's been the it, it's the best way to move large files across an asymmetric network like the internet, and it, it moves between 20 to 40 percent of the world's internet traffic every day. I'm here because BitTorrent's obviously very interested in what's happening in the music industry, and the music industry is very interested in what's happening in BitTorrent. Um, for the last couple of years, we've been working directly with artists to figure out if we can build a set of tools and a more sustainable platform for artists to access the massive audience that uses BitTorrent. In the last six months, we moved 35% of all the music torrents flying through the BitTorrent ecosystem legally with the artists who made the music that, that became those torrents. So we're really, really hopeful about 
what's next for for music and BitTorrent, and we think in 2013 we'll be able to work with guys like you to build a sustainable future within the BitTorrent ecosystem for all kinds of content creators. So I'm really excited to, to be here and talk to a lot of you today. Yeah, so my name's uh, Dave Haynes, and I run business development for content and content partners at SoundCloud. Hopefully most of you are already familiar with SoundCloud. Um, we're a community of over 20 million users. We're predominantly geared towards any type of creators um, who want to share their sound. So on the music side, that's anyone who has a music, whether you're an unsigned band, whether you're a, a management company or a label, but then also on the audio side of things, so public radio, comedy, news, anybody who has sounds to share. So yeah, I'm, I'm really interested to be here and just be uh, speaking to lots of you who, who are using SoundCloud in different ways. So now that we know everybody, the exciting thing about today's music industry is the fact that musicians can build and maintain the business behind their art in more ways than ever before. Obviously, the areas of promotion, distribution, and fan management have all been placed at the fingertips, essentially, from the most fledgling to the most influential. So the tools have effectively, effectively leveled the playing field. But with these new tools comes new problems. So each person on this panel has effectively developed a solution to a problem that they've recognized. I'd like to first start with what new problems these people have discovered as they've introduced the solutions to these artists and kind of received feedback. So I'd like to start with David from SoundCloud. So your product has definitely solved uh, a lot of problems in terms of distribution, in terms of music sharing, but what problems and features have your users been demanding now? And how does the introduction of the next SoundCloud how does that factor into this feedback loop? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the biggest problem, I, I, I think you can break down different problems with different types of creators, and I think even with just within the industry, different artists are at different stages of their careers, but ultimately everybody wants to find an audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one of the great, you know, on a, on a panel about artist tools, you can't help talking about, you know, D2C or, you know, the closeness that uh, an artist can now get um, with their fans. So. Um, I mean, SoundCloud, uh, you know, when we started, we really built a great tool set for creators to connect with their own audiences. So, you know, most of the artists in the room, they've been spending the last couple of years really working to build up um, different audiences that they have, whether that's on Twitter or Tumblr or on new sites like Pinterest. Um, And I think it's just it's just so incredible that. There are these tools now that people, it solves the problem of, okay, I need somebody to hear me. It's not just about getting played on the radio. You can really go directly to those people. Um, and then as soon as you've got those people, then it's, you know, there's an infinite number of things that you can do. So I think we, the, the first problem that we really solve is, um, yeah, trying to get into that, into that audience and, and be discovered in the first place. Mm-hmm. So what new things have kind of arised now? I mean, you've, you've given everyone this platform for distribution and sharing. Um, obviously, many would argue that the space is saturated. Some would disagree with that in terms of the, con- the, the good content rising to the top. But what new things have your users now been demanding? And you've just rolled, you're about to roll out a new product called Next SoundCloud. Um, how has that feedback loop factored into what you're doing now? Yeah, so um, I think we've we've just been so we've been in terms of SoundCloud as a product, we've been 100% focused on those creators. Um, you know, to the point where actually we suddenly realised on the site we could probably be doing a lot more for the for the listeners who are coming onto the site. So, um, you know, we can we can help uh, an artist grow their audience off the platform, like I said earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'd also with with Next, we just wanted to make we wanted to upgrade, um, which which will launch in uh, hopefully December, fingers crossed. Um, but with Next, we really wanted to just address the problem when somebody comes onto SoundCloud. How can we give them a better listening experience? So, mm-hmm. um, just a complete refresh of the. And there's some exciting new features, but the the primary thing is, um, yeah, how how can we kind of encourage a listener to come onto SoundCloud and in, enjoy your content while they're there? Mm-hmm. 
Now, David from Banzoogle, the other, the other David on the panel, uh, one initial problem that you obviously seek to solve, um, one initial problem of many, is that artists were very de overly dependent on their social media sites. Um, look what happened to MySpace. Everyone was kind of struggling to get their fans back, and increasingly Facebook now, too. Um, so we've learned that the, uh, the website must be maintained as a primary funnel for music marketing efforts. But what new problems have you noticed now that people have more access to good-looking websites that are more functional for you know, music industry operations? Um, what challenges have emerged after they drive them to the website? I mean, ha how have you positioned yourself to meet those? Well, the, um, I guess the, the main challenge that we try to solve for artists is the fragmentation and I guess just the diversity of things you could be doing on the internet, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's... Um, and keep in mind, those are people that, that sometimes have a day job and uh, they want to be songwriting, they want to be practicing, they want to be performing. So there's a limited amount of money and time that they have to spend on uh, building and maintaining a web presence. Mm -hmm. Our angle is to make it as easy and as integrated as possible for them to do that, right? So we, uh, we give them an easy solution that solves like at least four or five of these problems and gives them a good hub to then um, engage their fans in other destinations like social media, so YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, but then some maybe genre-specific blogs and communities. So, um, so the new challenges are, 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 are that it keeps getting even more fragmented. Like n right now we're seeing a lot of questions about uh, how should I approach mobile? Because more and more people are visiting my website from their iPad or iPhone or smartphone. Uh, so that's a good example. There's um, there's also we're seeing we're seeing more more and more bands that are understanding that the product of music is changing. So they see uh, they they're still selling music or sometimes giving away music from their site, but now they're like, well, maybe I should look into look into crowdfunding or fan funding. Maybe I should be like looking at video sales more than just music sales. So we're we're like it's part of our challenge to adapt our roadmap and how we build it to to you know, cater to those new needs. Mm -hmm. Many artists, though, especially when they're kind of starting out, they, they don't view the website as necessary, I mean, for better or for worse, because everyone's hanging out on these social media sites. So um, why, why would someone behoove, why, why would the fan want to even spend time on the website, despite how functional it is? I mean, should bands even be focusing on that right now? The, well, the website, we think, obviously we're biased, right? We're a website company, but the, um, like, we think the website, first, first it's the one address you own, right? Because you're like you might be extremely active on Facebook and have thousands of fans or likers, mm -hmm. but you don't own that list. And right. if those fans start uh, being less active on, on on a network like that, you won't even know. And when you'll know, it's too late. And a lot of bands I've had the MySpace experience where you know they had a lot of activity there. So it's an address you own. It's a, it's the place where you completely control the design and the narrative. Mm -hmm in which your fans can experience your music and your art, right? That's where you can tell them who you are, kind of wrap it into your artwork. Uh, it's also where you own your data. Mm -hmm. And more than anywhere else, you can track your analytics on your website and really understand where your fans are coming from, uh, what content they're interested in. You can tweak that. And it's where you can sell directly to your fans right. and with no middleman and get to keep, uh, in our case, all of your money, but in like most cases, a lot, a lot less uh, percentage points go to uh, your e-commerce provider than to iTunes or Amazon. Right. 
Uh, well, on that note, let's kind of shift gears to, back to distribution towards Matt Mason uh, from BitTorrent. So when, when an artist uses CD Baby or TuneCore, it's questionable whether or not they'll even be users on the other end of those platforms to engage with the content. But Matt, however, your platform enables uh, artists to distribute their content to an already engaged uh, audience of hundreds of millions of users. We've seen it work wonders with artists that he and I have run together with Pr Pretty Lights, DJ Shadow, seeing millions of downloads with featured uh, media bundles with BitTorrent. Uh, the challenge is, Matt, that I want to ask you and you can address the audience is what then? Um, once the content is out there, how active are these people post-consumption uh, in terms of the, the artists? Like what kind of things are really translating? Uh, and what is the likelihood that you can actually see that same kind of success again? Yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, we've seen over the last two years, we've worked with everybody from the artists you just mentioned, DJ Shadow, Pretty Lights, Billy Van, three very different artists at different stages in their careers, all the way through to filmmakers from Stacey Peralta, who we're working with currently, um, to documentary filmmakers, to TV producers, to authors. So we've been doing these experiments with different types of content creators just to figure out, is there value in the BitTorrent ecosystem for them? Will, will their fans come and find them here? And how, can, how will that then translate into revenue for those creators? And in every single case, we've seen, we've seen the BitTorrent audience respond really, really well to, to, to content creators interacting with them directly there because that's where a lot of people are going to find content. It makes sense that they're more open to actually consuming something at the point where they're on BitTorrent looking for something. Mm -hmm. So the big challenge that we have, we, we feel like we've solved that. We've proved out that this audience is, is not a, a bunch of teenagers in basements who are never ever going to buy anything. This is your fans. These are people, I mean, we've seen with, with Pretty Lights, we saw 100,000 people opt in to sign up to get an email from, from Pretty Lights saying, yeah, tell me when you're next in town. Tell me about your next record. Um, as, as Dave and David were both just saying, that's really, it's really valuable to have that D2C relationship. Um, and 100,000 emails is a career. You, mm -hmm. can, you can earn from that for the rest of your life. So we've seen some really, really amazing results working individually with people. Our biggest challenge now is how do we scale that? How do we turn, how do we turn what we've been doing internally at BitTorrent into something that any artist or any creator can use like what what is the publishing platform what are the what are the tools that uh, we need we need to build next right that was actually going to mm -hmm. be my next question now um, so we've seen it work from the top end with artists who are more or less well known but also we have seen it with an artist mm -hmm. that wasn't well known in the case of Billy Van he went from 10,000 or 2,000 to 100,000 fans um, but that was a featured promotion yeah. you know, that Billy Van was on the homepage let's be fair of, of BitTorrent mm -hmm. here um, what about an artist who can get on the, ho the homepage of BitTorrent how do you kind of see yourselves playing into the role of this new ecosystem mm -hmm. that you guys have envisioned so we're building out several things to try and do that. We we launched an advertising network within BitTorrent and UTorrent a few months a few months ago, which um, at the time the press we got some some negative some flack for like oh, what are you doing? We don't want to see ads from from some users, but mm -hmm. actually user engagement within the BitTorrent ecosystem has gone way up because of those ads being there. And I think that gets back to the 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 point that people who use BitTorrent are really interested in content, right. and if we show them relevant relevant advertising from game developers or labels or whoever it is, they respond to it, they click on it, they go and get involved mm -hmm. in, in whatever it is if, if they're interested in that particular piece of content. So that's one way. The other way is to actually build a set of tools that let people publish into this ecosystem themselves. Now that's not valuable if that content's just going to sit there and nobody's going to find it. Right. So figuring out how to how how can we do search in a way that's, that makes sense given that this is a distributed technology. And distributed technology is, is, is very, very different to how things work, say, in the web. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that's one of the things we're looking at right now. And, and 
there's some really interesting cultural questions that we're working on um, as well. We're working with a big studio and um, one of the things that they said to me the other week was, we, we think BitTorrent's interesting because they look at BitTorrent as it's kind of like MTV in 1981. Mm -hmm. It's like the next cultural thing that happens because of this technology is more interesting than the technology. So the interesting thing about MTV was the music video. The interesting thing about BitTorrent as, as a content format, if you like, is that you can put anything you like inside a torrent file. It doesn't matter what the next format war is, whether it's HD versus Blu-ray, you can take both of those files at cinema quality, put them in a bundle with 500 lossless MP3s mm -hmm. and a giant PDF, and you can give it to 200 million people or sell it to or tweet gate it to hundreds of millions of people for zero cost. Mm -hmm. That's the end of media formats. That's the best media format ever. The question is what makes sense to put in there? What's the immersive way to, to create content for a BitTorrent bundle? How do you engage your audience with that? And we don't think that that question or the answer to that question is something that we, we, should, be, we should be answering. We think it's up to content creators to figure it out. So, so we're trying to create the tools for people to do that next. Interesting, interesting. I see how that's going to play out. Uh, Tyna, um, tell us a bit more about your platform. It's crowdsourced. Uh, from a global perspective uh, in terms of collaboration. What kind of problems did you see or what kind of things did artists specifically tell you that they, they saw uh, and then what kind of things did you factor in when you made your product? So I'm a computer engineer but also I'm a singer. So music okay. is my passion. So I had many problems as a singer. I am a composer. I did like 50 songs. But uh, I came up, okay, in Brazil, I want to distribute my songs in iTunes and Spotify, whatever. I can do that in Brazil, direct. We have like platforms like as CD Baby and, and many other ones here in the US, but in Brazil, India, and other countries on, around the world, we don't have. So what can I do to distribute my song directly? And I start to study all the process to distribute a song, and even if I'm inside a big label, it costs a lot of time and money to put the song inside a, web, a website and then get paid for it. The big artists, they need to wait for put a song in, for example, let me explain the process. If today I'm inside a big label and I want to, to distribute my song through iTunes, I need to send my songs to my label. My label will put in, uh, uh, will send to iTunes. iTunes will transform the file wave into MP3, whatever, and iTunes will put in iTunes store. This process takes six weeks if I'm inside a big label. If it's iTunes, then iTunes one month after they will generate a report and they will send a report for the label. A month and the label will process most of the things manually because they have many, many different kinds of reports. So what I'm building right now is like three softwares. One is called Encoder, where in, in one second, I can transform one file in 35 different files, formats. So I have a wave into MP3, MP4U, Polyphonic, etc. so I can send direct to the all mobile devices and everything. Another one is to manage the reports, uh, Spotify, uh, iTunes, whatever. So in one click, I know automatically what the artists need to get paid. And the third one that is my technology is a data translator. So I don't need to send the content to iTunes. They just read. So in one second, the song is in the, in the store. Another second, the artists get paid and everybody's happy. But that is just one solution to, to monetize the artists. What I'm building right now um, 
and it's ready. It's like a YouTube channel, and but mm -hmm. a new way of monetize the artist. Because once we get the the music in a collaboration, I'm mixing uh, the song and the video at the same time. So we generate a video with, for example, four artists. Uh, that video goes direct to our special YouTube channel, and each where each artist will be monetized at the automatic, so they don't need to to figure it out how to do our YouTube channel and how to. It's, it's the same problem as you're talking about because sometimes to, today, the big labels they don't have time and money to spend with the small and talent artists. Oh, okay, you are small. Let's grow up with us. No, no way. The artists need to do everything by themselves. Mm. So they need to create the Facebook page, Twitter, uh, YouTube channel. They need to uh, be worried with distribution, right. promotion, and all all the things that the internet is a. It's big. It's huge. Right. We have many opportunity, but everything is fragmented, so mm -hmm. the artists get lost. Right. So another thing uh, was the that I'm building right now is is the e-learning platform, because bef before uh, we have the credits. For example, Adele, who sing "Whirling the Deep." Who is the guitar player of Adele? Who is the drummer? Who is the the guy who played the saxophone? Nobody knows their names. Before we have the CD with the credits, but now. Uh, we have just in the mobile phone Adele rolling in the deep. So where is the musician? So for example, Alex, who did the mastering uh, for uh, Guns N' Roses, right. I'm recording him right now, doing the 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 best mixing mastering. Who how to do with your iPad? And below the video, you can ask for an advice for for ten tunes. Tunes is the currency of the website. For, but for example, for $10, you can have an advice for the best guy in in your uh, songs. Okay. So that uh, one. I, I hate to gap. cut you off, but sorry, but we really got to. Okay, sorry. <laughs> but I mean, but with thought, that's great. It's but this like in mind, Steve, I want to bring tools. your in perspective. You've heard from all these technologists. Um, you've seen all these tools that have kind of been going on now. Um, can you give us a bit of context of how these problems emerge coming from your background, you know, from your days at Sony and managing a man like Incubus? What problem? I mean, have you seen these problems being really fulfilled? Um, and given the fact that you have an artist like Incubus coming, you know, from the, the glory days of the major labels and the whole giant distribution, yeah. give us a little bit of context as, as to are these problems really being solved right now? Well, the the, the single biggest problem uh, for an artist is to bring attention to what you do, and it's great to hear about technology and 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 how that's made an impact. But none of the technology that I've witnessed in my career would take the place of the emotion or the inspiration or the experience that leads to a great song and uh, or a great performance. That is not something that you can manufacture. And so the challenge of technology as I see it is um, to bring attention to what an artist is doing. And so I'm, I was taking notes here and BitTorrent is a great distribution platform. It seems the challenge from my perspective for you guys and ditto for SoundCloud, is to take what is a distribution platform that allows artists to put their music where somebody can hear it. To your point, Tana, that used to be a difficult process to even put your music where somebody could hear it, is awesome. But it won't solve the problem of how to bring attention to that music. And particularly when you offer a platform that allows anybody to go out and put their music or their thoughts out there for the world to see, that's a lot of traffic 
to cope with. So I think if you guys can turn those, what are essentially distribution platforms into a promotion platform, uh, then I think it will have some weight. I think when, evidently when you do that, um, you wind up having to take a voice, an A&R or an editorial bit to who's gonna be on the front page. And that invites a whole level of competition of you know, how do I get on the front page? Can I pay you? Can I spiff you? Do I take you out to play golf? How do I work you to my ends? And that ultimately ends all with, <laughs> and ultimately it ends with spending money. Um, from where I sit, I look at tools as a way to help me turn an artist's vision and their music and their passion into a career. And that ultimately means they have to be paid for it. So I'm deeply concerned with things that allow attention but don't allow an artist to make money. And those are things that um, the technology has had this disruptive aspect of making your music free, which on some level sounds good. But if you're an artist and you're out here today looking to make a living at this, uh, you shouldn't take a whole lot of comfort with that, you know? One of the problems that I see on the web with all the technology stuff is they give you tools, they give you a great gun, a great cannon, but they don't tell you where to aim it, they don't tell you where to shoot it, they don't tell you what kind of ammo it needs. And the thing that I think is in short supply on the web is experience. The experience of people that have done it, the experience of the Obi-Wan Kenobis that can give you a path, it can tell you, I know it looks like this kid, but that's never gonna fucking work and here's why. Where technology tends to approach the music business in a very rational way, and I got fucking news for you folks, there's nothing rational about the music business. <laughs> and so, uh, those are my observations um, sitting here today, and my interest in all of this is to see what tools of the trade are working out there to help artists bring attention to their work, so. Right. Um, we definitely live in the, the attention economy, as many people have kind of heard that coin. Um, so with all these technologies, there's never any shortage of data. I mean, everyone's living off all these, da these, uh, these data analytics. But now that we have all this data, what do we do with it? Uh, so I'm trying to figure out now what kind of questions are we now asking? What sort of trends are we now seeing that artists uh, would benefit the most from to kind of develop this toolkit of tomorrow? I mean, are we seeing now a consolidation of all these different platforms? So um, moving forward, I'm, I'm curious to know from each of the panelists, like what areas do you guys see um, are the most the most beneficial and the ones that we're, we need to ask the most questions about? Is it fan retention and loyalty? Is it, is it personalization? Uh, what kind of questions are we asking now? So I want to maybe ask Dave from SoundCloud, what kind of questions are your team asking now that you have all this data from all these users yeah well I mean I mean first of all I mean there there is it's I think it's almost overwhelming as an artist all that data um, and I'd be interested to know as well I mean going back to I thought Steve made the best point out of everybody on the panel it's like hopefully everyone woke up at that at that point because Steve <laughs> Steve was telling it how it is and I think it'd be you know on panels like this I would love to have an artist on the panel as well just to see what do they think about data I mean they don't they don't give a shit really I mean like they don't, like they, they don't care the, the data that <laughs> the data that they need to know is like they they might look at their Twitter followers to see how popular they are but but the most important thing how many people turned up to my show right. and you don't need technology to tell you how many people turned up to your show so I think you kind of have to remove that from that's not necessarily an artist tool that's probably a tool for the, the people who are surrounded the artist and, and helping grow their career so I just wanted to make that that point first of all but um, yeah I mean I think it is very overwhelming um, and I think we're only really just starting to see it's, it's very tempting just to say give me as much data as possible and that solves an artist problem um, but it's only when you actually bring in 
insight into that um, data that it actually counts. And I think there's, I don't think we've necessarily answered that, but there is certainly a, a couple of companies who are leading the way in that. So like there's a company called Next Big Sound, just moved to New York. They're doing a fantastic job with that, mm -hmm. not just getting the data, but trying to provide that kind of insight level. Mm -hmm. But then also thinking who are the different people, you know, an insight that you need from an A&R person to, um, you know, an artist manager to somebody who's doing your, you know, blog promotion. They're, they're all different data points that are useful. There's a couple of other companies, uh, Buzzdeck and, and Music Metric, um, mm -hmm. who are also doing a, a great job. So I think, I think we're still scratching the surface. Um, I mean, I think from, from a SoundCloud point of view, um, you know, for, for somebody who is like a premium user of SoundCloud, you know, one, one of the things that we see people are upgrading because they want to see the data. That's one of the, that's one of the big things. Mm -hmm. um, and in it's kind of, yeah, knowing exactly what, what territory um, your fans are in. So, um, you know, I've heard anecdotal stories, um, you know, a band on SoundCloud, they put out that they're, they're only queued up to do a European release, but then all of a sudden they see that, that overwhelmingly 80, 90% of their traffic is coming from the US. Now all of a sudden they can use that data to go and tell a story to somebody and say, hey, we should get a release. You know, we, we can't afford to do physical, but could we put out a digital release right. in this territory? Um, or it might be, um, and I don't know whether this is happening in, in the US, um, but certainly in the UK where I'm from, um, we're hearing that, that, that in the UK, it really matters whether you're on, on radio or not. Um, um, if you get onto Radio 1, even if it's C-listed, that's, that's an, a big important step in your career and you're going to sell more records if you get on the radio. Mm -hmm. So e even though these, these plays aren't necessarily the most like, highly monetized, they, they can still go back and get the data points of how, how many SoundCloud plays they've had, how many YouTube views that they've had, and they can build an argument and go and take that to, uh, take that to radio. Then they get their money on the. Uh, then they get their track on the radio, and then they've got a career, and they can mm -hmm. start selling shows and and kind of moving CDs and things like that. So, so I think it's different for different people. But um, yeah, if 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 you're an artist and the team around you isn't kind of paying attention to that data, then yeah, that's that you've you've got to ask why not right. because you there is definitely some valuable. Insight. Mentioned an important uh, word there, team. I mean, all these tools they make sense if you have a team of marketers and technologists. But if you're an artist, you have to become either become a technologist yourself. <laughs> or just get lost in the shuffle of things. So when it comes to the whole turnkey solution, obviously Banzoogle, David, your, your uh, platform has, has solved that. But do you see us moving towards this realm of creating tools that are consolidated and that simply make sense for an artist, where an artist can be the technologist and be the, you know, the boss, so to speak? Or do you kind of see us getting better tools for you know, marketers and technologists uh, aside from the content creators? That's a good question. I think... Um I think both. I think some artists will want to take control of that part of their career and use those tools. And in some cases, they, they'll get someone else to work with them that will understand those tools. And in other cases, they won't do anything and, uh, and they'll remain a hobby. Like I think, I think, but I think generally speaking, in terms of data, it's a, like the, we're moving away from, a, from an economy that has always been high volume with and very low margins with a you know kind of undifferentiated product and moving towards since the there's so, such an abundance of music available we're moving towards a a lower volume but higher margin industry where where you're not going to get millions of fans you're going to get maybe a few thousand but you need to engage mm -hmm. them in a different way because if all you do with those fans is sell them a CD every 3 years uh, you're not going to earn a living. So data needs to be able to help artists 
or the people that work with them segment their fan base and say, well, these are the these are probably the people who have heard my song once and liked it and and now follow me on Twitter recently and all the way down to these are my hardcore fans. They're the ones who are on my mailing list. They're the ones I should aim my next Kickstarter mm -hmm. to and get and probably they'll buy the higher package. So um, I don't know if I'm answering your question, but being able to have tools that help them make sense of all that data that is available is, I think, going to be key for a lot of these artists. Steve, I'm gonna ask you just straight up, what do artists really want? Well, I don't spend a lot of time talking data with my artists. I didn't, um, I didn't figure, that's why I asked you that question. Uh, what do they really want now, honestly? Thankfully, I suppose. I, 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 I sit there when I hear this, I think, what were John Lennon and Paul McCartney, if they, were, if they knew the numbers and they knew where, would they have been able to write a song? Probably not. I think the data and all that stuff is important if you're gonna build a business, but you mentioned something earlier, and this gets to that whole notion of the real music business versus this kind of romantic, silly notion. Uh, of the music business. If you're gonna be successful as an artist, your music needs to attract attention. First of some fans, and then hopefully people in the industry too. David here has got a great tool to help you do that. If you have a website, and that's your storefront. If you were gonna go out and start a business, you'd have a storefront, you'd figure out what your logo and how it looks from the street and how it looked when you walked inside, and you'd wanna present yourself in the best possible way. And labels in their best days, Celia here in the front row used to work with pre presentation. It was how to present an artist in a way that captured the spirit of what they were doing. And one of the great givebacks of the internet is that in the past, you would have to count on doing an interview with Rolling Stone or Spin Magazine and hope that those guys captured what you want. But oftentimes that went in a direction that you might not have planned. So having a website allows you this opportunity, present yourself, in the purest form of how you see yourself, right? So that's a, that's a great tool to have on your hand. Scorecard is important, it's, but it's why an artist, once you've attracted attention, you're gonna wanna find a manager or an agent because that is more in their vein. You know, managers spend time looking at feedback, but I don't share a lot of that with the guys in Incubus. We'll talk about the things that you're right. They ask you, how many people did we do tonight, Steve? How many records did we sell this week? Um, the big picture stuff, you know, because Scorecard provides you feedback. It lets you know from a manager's point of view. I love looking at the data. I'm a scorecard guy. I play golf. I like to have a score on, at the end of the day. It makes me understand what I need to work on. And too often people get lost in these adjectives when I want to just know the score. So when I know there are people in South America, we, uh, our friend from Brazil here, Incubus had never sold a record down in South America. We were selling 1,500 records long before the internet. South America didn't need the internet to, to steal music, these kids. They were selling it on the streets, you know? But because of the internet, I got so many emails from kids down in Chile and Brazil and places beyond what you would have expected. And so I had trouble getting the band a tour down there. The first time we went and played in Chile, we had sold 1,600 records in the whole country, went down there and played to 26,000 people, okay? That would have not, I wouldn't have been conscious of it if it hadn't been for the internet. And so all this data and stuff for me is terrific stuff, but I doubt that it's gonna help an artist. So if you're an artist out there today, you wanna get your attention, these are wonderful tools to distribute your music, to present your music to hopefully find some manager, some grizzly old veteran or some young person on the way up that has a passion, and, and, but more important than a passion, an understanding of how to execute and present and promote uh, things which are decidedly non-techno. Right. I think, I think if you're, oh, hello, can you hear me? Um, so I think one thing 
before if you were a manager or you were someone you're a radio program or something before you had to go on like gut instinct there, there had to be something you had to be the lucky band that the cd or the vinyl went on the desk and you happened to read the notes and you got excited or you'd seen them like play in the show they just happened to be a supporting another act mm -hmm. you were on um but what's interesting i think the change with this kind of data that you're seeing is people can like they almost expect you as an artist to do more like you have to you have to have that that kind of first five ten percent of your career first and then you have to go to someone with this data and say hey look i did this many shows i've got this many fans on facebook i've got this many youtube views you know my my last demo on soundcloud just blew up and we had over 20,000 plays and that's a crucial difference that you have to as an artist because you have these tools there is unfortunately more of a responsibility on on you to get to that stage but it's empowerment as well because it means you don't need to like you don't need to kind of get to a gatekeeper if you find that gatekeeper you can prove to them that you're worth it I want to make a point of that, if I could, real quick. I was, you know, I was having a meeting the other day to speak to how the, the metrics have changed here. In the old days, it was BDS and your sound scan, and those were the typical scorecards that you looked at if you were an industry insider. I had a meeting with a gentleman a couple, three weeks ago, a guy named Mike Karen, who's the president of A&R at Warner Brothers Records. He's 36 years old. And as we're sitting in his office talking, you know, he starts showing me all these YouTube numbers and this number and that number and this number a million miles away from the guys that I grew up in the business with. And he was interested. If you can't get a million YouTube you know, views on your own, then you're not worth a shit, right? And it was just this whole different mentality. Still scorecard based, but they're looking for signs because guys at the labels are sitting there ready to pony up millions of dollars. They don't have any more freaking idea than you and I. So they're looking for feedback. They're looking for little hints of something that are showing a spark out there. So. Yeah. And it's, it's funny, and, and I'm sure Matt, you know, could probably speak to this as well. But when I go and if I'm if I'm going and speaking to a label, I mean, I'm speaking to lots of different departments who all want different things. But like quite often at the end of the meeting, someone will be like, "Oh, do you know what? Never mind all that stuff. What we're really interested in knowing is like, could you show me more data about the up and coming artists mm -hmm. on SoundCloud? Because if you're the next X big person." then you're probably on SoundCloud busy building your careers. Right. And, and there's kind of, you know, it's kind of giving this sort of like magic eight ball into who that next person yeah. is. But that, in that context, that data is gold. It's like, it's the new oil to right. kind of say the cliche again. May you had a point? Yeah, I'm, I mean, I just want to challenge some of the underlying narrative here that I'm hearing. And I hear it a lot of music events, a lot of conferences like this. In this conversation, there is this assumption that I just think is flat out wrong. And that is the music industry used to be easy and things used to be fair and now it's now it's hard and it's difficult and artists have to know about data like I, I've been in the music industry since I was a teenager and I've never seen anything fair about it it's a hustle <laughs> it's a grind you have to you're greasing palms you're beating people up behind concert venues you're Anyway, there's a whole other <laughs> set of stories there. Um, yes. Go on. No, go on. Go on. That's a whole. So yeah, panel. like data being the new hustle isn't really a big problem for me. It's like, oh, I have to just look at YouTube now. That's much easier than like chasing a pirate radio DJ for a car park with a baseball bat. Right. So right. There's this whole way to directly access fans now and find out. Yeah, are we really? Are we really able to talk to these people? Can we do it? And and it's becoming fairer. 
Right. If the CEO of a major record label is looking at YouTube numbers, I mean, I've heard stories from the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s where that's not how they were making decisions. Like you said, it's not a rational business. So the fact that it's getting more data-driven means it's going to get more rational and it's getting fairer, it's getting more democratic. Uh, but data is the new hustle. And if you're a, a teenager with a dream and a great song, yeah, you have to know some of your numbers or no one's ever going to hear you. And that's... Mm. That's the same hustle that's always been true in the music industry. Right. I love I love that line. Please tweet that data is the new hustle. <laughs> um, that could be a song. So data. I've been to a number of these events to know that there are a dozen of questions that are going on right now. So I want to get to the Q&A a little early because I know you guys want to talk to these these guys here. So let's go ahead and start the Q&A Q now, please. Where is the microphone? All right. Who wants to go first? Gentleman in the white coat back there. Okay, way in the back, of course. Is for Dave, um, SoundCloud. How the hell do you get listens and faves? I mean, majority of us get like a hundred average, but how do you get a hundred thousand plus? Yeah, yes, it's an interesting question, and it's 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 actually really interesting just to do a bit of analysis on kind of you know behavior overall on the web of plays. I mean, you, you see, I mean, it's a, a typical kind of, if anyone's seen a, a, an article by Clay, Clay Shirky called The Power Law, and it's just, you know, as soon as you've got all of these artists in, in the same playing field, you just have this kind of, you know, crazy tale that's kind of, you know, that, that you've got a few people doing the majority of the listens and then it really tails off. Um, and it's, it's about how do you get into that kind of, how do you rise up into um, kind of this higher part? Um, <laughs> that doesn't really help. That doesn't really answer the question. Um, but I think the uh, for, for SoundCloud anyway, I think the emphasis has more been on the creator to if they are building their own audiences to go and take um, take their song and go and connect with people. I mean, we're seeing a crazy amount of listens coming from platforms like Tumblr, for example. So if you're really building a presence on sites like that, then you can like the the plays can spike um, incredibly. Um, and if you're not, you do need to be really concentrating on building those audiences. Um, but that's kind of the hard work on the creator part. I think the, the thing that SoundCloud could be doing more of, and I think Steve kind of um, uh, spoke to it earlier, is we would love to, with the next SoundCloud, start thinking about how can we do more to build this kind of ecosystem of discovery and promotion actually on SoundCloud itself. So, um, you know, if you do have great music or your friends listening to that music, you know, we can help do a better job of surface that. Because that's the problem. I mean, we have, you know, 25 million users on SoundCloud, that's a lot of sounds that you have to wade through before you find your particular track. So um, there's no easy answer at the moment. It is really about kind of building your own audiences, um, SoundCloud in particular. Um, but I mean, one simple thing we've seen a lot of people um, just by servicing your sounds to um, like music bloggers, for example, and letting them do the promotion and we, we really see sounds go viral that doesn't necessarily happen on other platforms. Like it just takes two or three things for suddenly everybody to pick it up and everybody to be talking about it. So you need, you need to find that kind of what's, what can you do to get that kind of spiral started? Mm -hmm. Yes, right in the front here. Hello, I'm Daniel Savage. Uh, I work for Music Metric and uh, commercial for SoundCloud. We just published a digital music index which showed that SoundCloud is the number one most impactful platform for new and breaking artists. So that's mm -hmm. very nice for you. And um, you know, one of the things that we're trying to do is there's so much data out there. It's like drinking out of a fire hose. I think we've all said that. So we kind of wrap it up all in one nice clean dashboard. And one of the primary uh, data points is we track torrent files. 
and Steve, to your story, uh, story about Chile, I'm having that conversation a lot with managers nowadays who are looking to tour, and they're like, well, I want to go to Eastern Europe. Where should I tour? Like, okay, well, let's look at Romania. And in fact, let's look at the top 10 file trading markets for your band in Romania, and we can look at it by your new album, or your catalog, or by a track. So the torrent data is incredibly impactful, and even if you're not a platinum artist and you're a developing artist, it could be a roadmap for you to say, hey, you know what, I think I'm the next Incubus. Let me see where they're file trading, and let me see how everything fits together. Thank Great. you for that. It wasn't exactly a question, but... <laughs> <laughs> but it posed some interesting questions. Hi there, my name is Joan Martin, and I'm with Fan Access, and we're a platform that combines the data that much of you provide with access to brands and ad agencies because we want to transfer money to music. So um, my question to you is, number one, thank you very much for uh, creating all these platforms that we now can access data. I love data also. But I also love money for artists. And so I'm wondering where you are now, what do you think are your most strategic partnerships that will actually bring dollars to artists? Matt, you wanna take that one? Yeah, I think we did one thing again with you guys at Famehouse Hisham this year that for, for me showed us a different business opportunity that I don't think anybody's really explored too much within the torrent ecosystem. We've done a lot of things like can we get more likes? Can we get more people to buy the album on, on iTunes? Uh, we worked on a project with DJ Shadow earlier this year that I thought was really, really interesting in terms of what we saw people do. So we put an offer for, a, we put an ad offer inside a torrent file of music that we did with DJ Shadow, that, sorry, that DJ Shadow made to promote his new album. So when you open this file, it, it, it would, there was a, a little readme file that said, would you like to support the artist? If so, download this free software bundle from one of our partners, and invariably it was somebody like Real Player or a, a media player, something that you could use that had a, a relationship to the content. It wasn't a great execution. It wasn't the smartest, most immersive, involving, emotionally compelling advertising strategy in the world. It was a really, really simple, would you like some free software? You'll help the artist out if you download this. But what we saw was when people understood that and people did that, between 20 and 30% of people actually clicked and installed that software because they were helping the artist. Now what's crazy about that is we serve that from, from bittorrent.com from our website, but the thing about the, the torrent ecosystem is it's completely distributed. So if you got that file from somebody else who got it from somebody else who got it from somebody else, we couldn't track it. If you pulled it down from a different swarm on the pirate bay, we wouldn't see it. But if, if that person opened it and installed that piece of software, the, the software company saw that and DJ Shadow got paid. So there's this whole opportunity of a distributed ecosystem where you can distribute possibilities further, not just your content, but you distribute the possibility that somebody might engage with that in a, in a way that directly makes money for you. And I think we've only just begun to scratch the surface of that and, and, understanding, and understanding that there's completely different business models yet to come. Like the internet and what's happening now was the first thing, but distributed technology is bigger than that, and where we go in the next five years is, is I think, going to be really mind-blowing. that answer your question? A little bit. I mean, I, I, an additional point, I think it's, it's kind of self-selecting as well, right? Because, I mean, 
if you're using a tool and it's taking up a lot of your time and it's not helping your career, whether that's directly or indirectly, then you're going to stop using it. So, mm. you know, if a platform can't figure out how it's contributing to the success of the artist, whether it's paying them directly or indirectly, then the tool's not going to get traction and, you know, it's it's going to die. Um, so in, in, in a way, in a weird way, it's kind of self-selecting. Interesting. Another question. Go for it. Yeah, I, um, I was kind of curious on what your thoughts are about using data or providing data to concert promoters. You guys talked about managers and um, artists, but what about like Live Nation, people like them? Feel free to anyone who wants to jump in on that. Well, I used to be a promoter back in the Go day. For and uh, the promoters should be calling you up and getting that information. These guys are about to plunk down some big dough or a small dough on a, on a little artist or a big artist. The best decisions are made when you have some sense of the lay of the land. So are you a young promoter? Are you thinking about it? School. Oh, you're a school promoter. Yeah. So you're spending the school's money. Smart yeah. kid. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Smart. Yeah, well, you should be getting all over that information. If yeah. you're a business hack in the music business and you're not checking out the lay of the land and getting every slice of information you can, then you don't deserve to be a promoter. And if you take that approach, you won't be a promoter for long. And if you're a manager, you should be fired on the spot. We, we, we definitely see a trend of, um, of bands in their press kit putting those numbers out there. Like they'll say we've had the, this many views on YouTube and they'll show a graph of their uh, Facebook likes or Twitter followers. Uh, so they're trying to get that data out there more more even now than like the old snippets from reviews that you would see on, the, on every press kit. Uh, so definitely their, their bands are trying to use that as a promotion tool or gain credibility to promoters. Yeah, I mean, one, one of the things that I do as well, uh, aside from SoundCloud, or uh, not so much of it recently, but I started an event called Music Hack Day. And one of the, one of the things that comes up at every single hack day is somebody, some incredibly talented developer who in 24 hours builds a tool to kind of plot plot kind of data on a map. I mean, I've even, even seen it to kind of, they've able to plot the band's tour with like carbon data. So it's like, you know, what's the most, um, what's the most eco-friendly friendly route? So I think when you've got, and never mind just all these tools, but when you do have all these data sources, I've seen so many tools that have been built to do exactly that. You know, if you're a promoter, how can I figure out which band is being talked about most in my city? Um, you know, which band has had the views or the plays um, in that city? At SoundCloud, we only go to a um, country level without um, geo data. I'd love to go a bit more deep and go into kind of state or town. Um, but yeah, I mean, to, I can't call anything specifically out, but I think there's a lot of products out there that can mm -hmm. probably help you. And if not, you could probably find someone who could who could build it. Let's jump to maybe two or three more questions. Who's got a really, really good one? That gentleman seems to have a really, really good one. Matt, my name's from, I'm from Forbes, Quora. My question, so, in terms of content monetization, what role do you guys believe that e-commerce plays in terms of merch or whether it comes from monetizing events, plays within kind of the business model for content creators like blogs and stuff like that? Matt, go for it. What role does e-commerce play? What role does, yeah, e-commerce and also in terms of monetizing events, also in terms of the business model for content creators. 
Yeah, so I think there's not one business model for content creators anymore. There's a business model for every single piece of content you create. Um, someone asked a question earlier, like, how do I, how do I use all these tools? Um, I think there is a simple answer. Make good stuff, put it in front of people who might care about it, and give them as many options as you can, as you can to monetize that content. It's, it's really those three things. Make good stuff, put it where the people are, and give them as many options as you really can for them to pay you for it, whether that's with engagement or whether that's with money directly. And that's as simple and as complex as it is. So it's not, there isn't really one tool. The, the thing we'll have to figure out now is, with each piece of content is, well, how do I get this exactly to the right people? And they're probably gonna be able to get it for free somewhere else, or they've got a billion other things to engage with if they're not that interested in this. So I better make sure I'm giving them all the right options right here to get them to get them where I want them to go, to get them looking and clicking at the things I want them to see. Mm -hmm. So you're saying that basically the, the piece of content is the monetizable aspect versus monetizing on another side of things, such as, um, you know, T-shirts for a blog or something mm -hmm. else that would bring in a different form of revenue or a different way to monetize the content you're creating that you uh -huh. can't currently do through display ads. It's all content. A T-shirt is content. You know, it's all part of your story. It doesn't matter what it is. We've got to a point in society where if you're an artist, you're a storyteller, you're a content creator, everything you do and touch, the hang tag on your T-shirt is, is part of your story. Everything you do has to ladder up to what you're trying to communicate, has to engage emotionally with people, and has to at some level convert, convert back into value for you. Mm. Can I say something? Yeah, please, please Hisham, I think, you know, when, when I hear all this stuff, you know, I wish we'd start calling music, music again. You know, they're just, God, the content just, just I don't know, it feels like a fucking can of soup, but whatever. <laughs> Um, here's the interesting thing. You have all the, if you're an artist out there today, you have all these wonderful ways to present yourself with Banzoogle, to distribute your music, to sell stuff. I saw a great, you know, app the other day somebody sent me out of the blue called Chirpify. So if you're out there tweeting and you can put a shirt up there and now you can sell your shirt or sell your music or get your stuff, your music related stuff out there in the world. You have this unbelievable ability to do it now. And I think, you know, sometimes, you know, we techie this thing up so much that we forget we're talking about music, which gets people inspired to be involved with you. So they'll want to wear your shirt, play your record, take your poster, come to your shows. That's what it's all about. Matt, you must have been a musician in another life, yes? Okay, because it is yeah, as simple sure. as that. You got a song that you want to inspire people. You got ways to put it out there. Don't overthink it, folks. Just do it. I think that what's changed is that it used to be that the song itself was a product. Because you heard the song once, you right, say, right. okay, I want to hear it again. The only way to hear it again as much as you wanted was to take your car, go to the mall, and buy that piece of yeah. plastic. Now the song has become a conduit to, mm -hmm. to experiences. And that yeah. experience might be you know, going to an EDM concert sure. with 60,000 people, or it might be buying that t-shirt and wearing it, because the music there is what, like the content is put in context, creates an experience, mm -hmm. and that has value, and there needs to be more of these contexts, so we get more of these experiences at different price points. I agree. But the artists need to be monetized, they need to get paid, they need money. 
and it's not easy. What I'm doing now is like uh, associating with brands so you can make jingles and you can get paid for it. Mm -hmm. So for example, with the World Cup, once you are the winner for the, the, the jingle, you get paid. We are doing like deals with Coca-Cola and another ones to make jingles and once you, you get the promotion of the brand, you, the brand can help the artists and I think it's a good way to monetize. Absolutely. One more question back here. Go for it. Excellent. Yeah, kind of on that point, and, and to anybody up there that wants to take it, I think we've been talking a little bit about uh, barrier to entry and how it's so much easier and a band can do so many things. And we have these bands we can talk about that have a million hits on YouTube and are doing well and have management and have money behind them and everything else. Um, but I'm curious, it seems to me, and I wonder if it seems to other people up there, that there's a lot of bands out there now that um, because the barrier to entry is so low, can, can fairly easily self-promote and make $30,000 or $80,000 a year instead of making you know, $30 million or $80 million right, a right. year. And I just wonder how much uh, that may have changed the industry or changed uh, what sort of products are being provided for those sort of level artists who are probably never going to make it. You know, the middle play, class musician. Yeah, so who play you know, heavy metal polka and are only ever going to have a very narrow section. But now it's so easy to get out there and find the people that want that and you can still tour on that and do okay but not uh, but not make a lot of money yeah i think if you could make 30 to eighty thousand dollars a year as a musician you'd have a line around this block for people that would do that you know my experience has been is that the real two conditions of the real music business nowhere zero bupkis and somewhere and if there were ever any notion that there was an in-between it's because somebody snapped a picture with their snazzy iphone 5 and caught you on the way up or the way down there is no music middle ground. So if there is, in fact, a guy that can go out and do music, something he freaking loves that he would do for free for 80 grand a year, then, then all this is worth it. Mm -hmm. I think yeah. definitely the, the, the way you measure success is changing. And then again, because it used to be such a high volume, low margin game, the only, like, success meant you know, millions of units moves. And nowadays, like I talk to bands that say, you know, like this year for the first time ever, everyone in the band is, a, is able to afford health insurance for their family and, and we've made it. You've never heard of these bands, but they, you know, they scrap together enough dollars from different revenue sources and they're able to afford, afford health insurance and, and live from their music. Right. And um, like to answer your question, like all of us are doing tools to try and enable that. Mm -hmm. But definitely the, the monetizable product of music needs to evolve from a, just a download or just a ticket to a whole suite of options that, that fans will be for. Yeah, I mean, I, I might have a slightly skewed view on this because I mean, we, we help so many like sound creators who aren't necessarily consider themselves part of the music industry but I think one interesting trend that, that we're seeing there is I mean just first of all more people are feeling empowered to create music full stop so I mean you have all these amazing tools like you can just um, you know download an app on your iPhone and engage in the process of making music there's no expectation from that user um, that there's monetary value and, and they're, and they're probably shouldn't be necessarily um, but I think it's a really exciting trend and I, I quite often I'll be walking around London in, in, in my SoundCloud t-shirt and, and actually reasonably regularly I'll have someone come up to me like oh you work for SoundCloud that's amazing you know I put my track up on SoundCloud and I got 500 plays and like you know that made me want to create more music right so I mean there's a huge there's this really like with with this kind of new sort of self-publishing platforms the thing that I think gets a lot of lost on a lot of people in the industry because we're so focused on on the uh, on the money side of things is that it's this virtuous loop you know the reason i used to take i'm kind of wandering off onto an analogy here but i used to take 
a few photos like if i i would only ever take photos when i went on on holiday and then i would have an album and i'd get it out once every month right. now with things like instagram i'm taking like 10 20 photos every day i'm being creative i'm like wow that sunset looks amazing i'm going to capture that and and share it with my friends and the feedback loop is if somebody just comments on that or if somebody likes it that's all i need that kind of sends that little kind of loop of like oh wow mm -hmm. somebody i made a piece of art and it mattered to somebody. Like it doesn't matter whether it's a million people, it doesn't matter whether it's one person. Obviously, if you're great at making art and you can reach a million people, you want to get paid. But I think we're losing sight of the fact that, you know, all of this kind of, you know, middle class of artists or, you know, these 25 million people, like for, for a lot of them, it just matters that they're able to make that music and share it. And right. that's, that's important and we shouldn't lose and sight of that. And that's how we're going to end this panel. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. Give it up to our panelists and enjoy the rest of the day. Thank you.